Well, I want to say how much I've already enjoyed being in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of the people at Calvary. Uh, Linda and I love coming here because our hearts are filled up when we get to sing with you uh, today. Jordan and the team led us so well, and we were focused on the Lord, and you're, you were focused on the Lord, and we were all filled up. It's been wonderful. I want to bring you greetings from Heritage College and Seminary. Pastor Kelvin was saying, we actually are really grateful for uh, you at Calvary Baptist in Oshawa. You've sent us a whole bunch of good students. Some of them uh, you heard today are alumni of the school. And you've sent us some good staff and some good professors. Uh, I teach a class with John Stairs. Some of you will remember John and Lori. And Brad Hooper is uh, one of my assistants. And Brad's a sharp guy. And we are just really blessed by this church, and we go around Ontario, and we often meet people that have roots here at Calvary, and they were trained up well. At uh, Heritage, our heart is to train people, men and women, for ministry. Uh, we want to train people that will serve the Lord wherever God sends them for the rest of their life, and uh, we are gearing up for the fall. We have a really good crop of incoming college and seminarians, and I just have a couple things that you might be interested in. You might be saying, well, I'd love to get some training like that, but, you know, we're over here in Oshawa, and you're way over there in Cambridge, and there's a thing called Toronto in between us, and that's a problem. Did you know that we get to partner with Calvary, and we offer a course here starting this September on Monday nights? There will be a course on how do you understand the Bible better. The technical word is hermeneutics. And if you would ever love to just kind of sample or get experience of what a seminary class might look like, either for credit or for audit, we have some information on the table. Stop by, and it's going to be at your church. And I'm really thankful to Pastor Rick and the team for letting us have a course right here at Calvary. One other thing, my wife Linda's with me, and Linda heads up a program called the Heritage Center for Women in Ministry. And ladies, you might want to chat with her about some of the options that are available to you, including a course that's just for a couple days, twice in this fall, that's called Women Impacting Their World, Locally, Nationally, and Globally with the Gospel. So if that would be of interest to you, talk to Linda afterwards. We'll be by the table and be happy to do that. You are in a series this summer here at Calvary called Because You Asked, and each Sunday, Pastor Rick or one of the other pastors has been dealing with giving you some biblical answers to some honest questions that were submitted by people in your congregation. So Pastor Rick sent me the list of questions as he asked me to come speak this morning, and I noticed that there were three questions submitted by three different people that all related to the Holy Spirit. Three questions about the Holy Spirit, which just is a reminder that many Christians have questions about God's Holy Spirit. They may know something about the Holy Spirit. They know that the Bible says there is one God who e eternally exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. They know that. They know that within the one God, there is both unity, one God, and community, Father, Son, and Spirit. They know that. They even know uh, that somehow, in an amazing way, when somebody trusts in Christ, God sends His Holy Spirit to live inside of them. The Spirit makes His home in our hearts. That's a pretty amazing thought. They know that. And they know that somehow the Holy Spirit is supposed to work powerfully in us, but they still have questions. 
Like, how does that actually work out in the messiness of daily life? How, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is at work in you? What do you expect? Do you feel something? Do you see something? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life or mine. Well, today I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that answers a number of questions about the Holy Spirit, including the three that were asked by folks here at Calvary. The passage that I'm going to take you to really deals with the subject of how the Holy Spirit helps us, how the Holy Spirit helps us. And the passage that I'm referencing this morning is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8. So would you join me today in Romans chapter 8? We're going to work our way through verses 1 to 27 today and deal with the question that you asked, which is, what are the benefits of the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit work in our conscience? How do you pray in the Spirit? Or how does the Holy Spirit help us? And here's what I've been praying today. I've been praying that you would leave here today with a greater clarity and a greater sense of understanding of how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life in the days ahead. That's what I'm praying, that God would actually do some transforming work in your life and mine as we look at His Word. So let's pray together. Let's invite the Lord by His Spirit to do some good things in our souls, and then let's look at the Scripture together. Father, this morning we've sung our praises to you, we have rejoiced in you, we have asked for you to come by your Spirit and fill this place and fill us up. And now as we open your Word, Lord, my prayer to you is that by your Spirit you would take your Word and allow it to be very, very clear and compelling in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, so that we might live in a way that honors you, glorifies you in the fullness of your spirit. Please help me to be true to your word. Please help us to be attentive to it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Romans chapter 8 could be called the Holy Spirit chapter. You know, sometimes we call like 1 Corinthians 13, we call it what? What do we call 1 Corinthians 13? We call it the love chapter, right? Romans 8 could be the Holy Spirit chapter because the Holy Spirit is mentioned about 20 times in this one chapter. If you read Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, you'll only find one reference of the whole, to the Holy Spirit in all seven chapters of Romans 1 to 7. Then you get to chapter 8, and there are like 20 references to the Holy Spirit. So this is like the Holy Spirit chapter. Another thing about Romans 8 that you need to know is that it comes right after Romans 7. You're thinking, you're thinking, thank you, Captain Obvious, for that little insight that number 8 comes right after number 7. I know that already. No, no, no. What I mean is the teaching about the Holy Spirit in chapter 8 comes right after Paul's discussion of our spiritual struggle in chapter 7. Like in chapter 7, Paul has been talking about how hard it is to, to live in a way that pleases God. It seems uphill and against the wind. And he's been saying things in chapter 7 like, the very thing I want to do, that's not the thing I do. And the very thing I don't want to do, well, that's the thing I do. And he ends chapter 7 by saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever cried out like that? Like Paul said, wretched person that I am. Like, what's wrong with me? Do you ever feel like sometimes in the struggle to walk with the Lord, you're losing more than you're winning? Well, if you've ever felt that way, and I've felt that way, if you've ever felt that way, you need a good dose of Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, hope shows up. And the hope that shows up is the help of the Holy Spirit. So what we want to do this morning is work our way through the first 27 verses of Romans chapter 8. And I want to show you three ways that Paul isolates and highlights three ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. Three ways he can help you. Three ways he wants to help me. Now, there's more than three in chapter 8, but today we're going to focus on three, and these are essential and these are encouraging. The first one, first way that Paul isolates that the Holy Spirit helps us shows up in verses 1 to 14. I'd put it this way. This is what we'll see. The Holy Spirit helps us. Here's the first way. The Holy Spirit helps us live pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit helps us live pleasing to God. Why did God give the Holy Spirit to His people? So that we could live pleasing to God. You see that? Let, let me read the first four verses. You'll see where I'm going with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so, He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the what? The Spirit. So verse 4 is saying that those who live according to the Spirit will, look what verse 4 says, they will fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. In other words, they will live in a way that pleases God. The righteous requirements of the law, that speaks of holiness. God's, God's righteous requirement is that, as He says, be holy for I am holy. That means the righteous requirements of the law is that you would live according to His will, according to His way. And verse 4 is saying that can happen for those who live according to the Spirit. Now, that's really significant because Paul has just said that living according to God's law is not easy for us. There's a problem. And the problem is not with God's law, it's with you, and it's with me, right? Look at verse 3, he said that. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. The law, that's God's righteous requirements, was powerless because of something Paul calls here the sinful nature. Some of your translations might say the flesh. Now, the sinful nature of the flesh was the big topic of discussion back in chapter 7. Remember how I said chapter 7? Paul's saying, man, it's a, I'm a mess. I'm struggling here. It's all about the sinful nature. That's why he struggled. That's why you struggle. That's why I struggle. In fact, flip back to chapter 7. Let me just give you a little picture of the struggle. I'll bet some of you are going to say, this is like my biography. Okay, listen to this. Chapter 7, verse 14. 
We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, for I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, there is no, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. See what Paul is saying? He's going, look, at, I, I'm trying. I want to, but I don't seem to be able to pull it off. That's why the good news in chapter 8 is that God has given us the power that's greater than the sinful nature, right? That's why in chapter 8, Paul comes back and says in verse 4, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Now, maybe we can figure out this way. See, here's the struggle that you've got going that I've got going. If you're a Christian, you've got a, new, you've got a new person inside of you. You've been made new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? But you still have what Paul calls the sinful nature or the flesh. The sinful nature is the leftovers from your old life before you knew Christ. And the sinful nature that's still inside of you and still inside of me has like an allergic reaction to righteousness, Every time it gets too close to holiness, it starts sneezing. It doesn't want to go there, right? The sinful nature is like the traitor inside the gates that opens up the gates to sin in your life over and over again. It turns traitor on you. Anybody here ever been to the Great Wall of China? Anyone been there? This is on my wife's bucket list, so someday I've got to get her to the Great Wall of China. Great Wall of China was built to keep the bad guys out, right? It was, to, it was built to keep out the invaders. And it was a great wall. It's strong, it's sturdy, nobody could scale it. But do you know the Great Wall of China didn't work? And you know why it didn't work? Several times the, the bad guys got in. For example, during the Ming Dynasty, the governor or the guy that was in charge, the general who was in charge of keeping all of China safe, opened the gates, the Shanghai gates, to the Manchu attackers. So they didn't have to climb over the walls. They, they came through the gates. The guy turned traitor. Now, here's the deal. God's law is like the Great Wall of China. Nothing wrong with God's law. It's strong and it's sturdy. The problem is that we have something inside of us that's like that general that comes and opens up the gates to temptation and says, come on in. The Scripture is saying, you're going to have this battle, but God is giving you something that's stronger than the sinful nature. He's given you the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, okay, I get that, but how does this work out? How does the Holy Spirit help me win against the part of me that sometimes opens the gates to sin? Well, that's what Paul is going to describe now in verses 5 to 14. In verses 5 to 14, Paul talks about the two ways 
that the Holy Spirit helps us win against sin. Two ways the Holy Spirit goes to work in your life and in my life to help us deal with the sinful nature or the flesh. I want to show them to you. These are crucial and these are encouraging. You see, the Holy Spirit is given to help us live pleasing to God, and He does it in two ways, according to verses 5 to 8. Here's the first way that the Holy Spirit helps you get some victories after you've been having some defeats. First thing He does, verses 5 to 8, is this. He prompts us to change our stinking thinking, okay? First thing that He does, Paul says, He goes to work in your mind. He goes to work in your head, and He's going to get you to change the way you think. He's going to prompt you to change your stinking thinking. Let me, I'm not making this up. Look at verses 5 and 8. You'll see it. Verse 5. Notice all the references to your mind in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, okay? Verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Remember, the Spirit is given to help us please God. And Paul is saying here, you know how the Spirit starts to work to help you please God? He goes to work in your thinking, he, he, on your mindset. Verse 5, he says he changes that mindset from what the sinful nature desires to what the Spirit desires. By the way, this is a really important thing because verse 6 says it's a matter of life and death, how you think. Did you see that, verse 6? The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Have you found that out, that where your mind goes, your emotions tend to follow? And after a while, you're thinking this way, and stuff is just like death to you. And, it's, and then if your mind's in the right place, it's life and peace. Paul says the Spirit is going after your thinking. Then he says in verses 7 and 8, before you had the Spirit, you couldn't even win this fight in your head. He says in verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So I want you to, I want you to capture this. This is pretty important. When God's Spirit goes to work inside of you to help you live pleasing to God, the first thing He does is go after your thinking, what happens in your head, your mindset. He wants you to mind your mind if you've ever been in London, England, you know that if you travel the trains, every time you get out of one of the trains, you'll see signs there in the platform walls, and you'll hear a voice coming over the intercom saying, mind the gap, mind the gap. And what that's telling you is that there's a little gap between the train where you're stepping out of and the platform. And they're just saying, you know, watch your step, in other words. Don't fall, don't trip up. You could say that when the Holy Spirit goes to work in your life to bring about change so you can please God, the first thing He does is start to say to you, mind your mind, mind your mind. You're driving home from work, your mind starts drifting, you're stuck in traffic, and, you're, and suddenly your mind starts replaying old hurts, people that have said things to you, done things to you, wounded you. And as you replay that in your mind, suddenly you can start to feel the bitterness start to sour your stomach. And then, suddenly there's this breakthrough. The 
Spirit of God says to you, hey, 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 mind your mind. And you're aware, okay, yeah, that's right. That's, I don't, that's, that's, I'm going down the wrong place here. Later on that night after dinner, you're tired, so you just turn on uh, the computer or the TV and you turn on Netflix and you say, I have not watched this one before. This one's probably okay. And you start watching it. And pretty soon, that, the plot line and the images, the graphics that are going on are taking your mind in places that you know are not good. And yet, you're kind of absorbed in the storyline until the Spirit of God whispers into your heart, hey, mind your mind. That night, you climb into bed, and suddenly, when you're still, the worries and anxieties of all the things that are undone, all the things that are financial pressures, health issues, they start flooding back in, and you're in this spin cycle of worry, trying to get to sleep, until the Spirit whispers to you, mind your mind brings to mind maybe Philippians 4.8, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, let your request. The Spirit breaks in and says, mind your mind, mind your mind. And He helps you to be able to say at that moment, Lord, you're right, I got some stinking thinking going here. It's not helping me, and I'm sorry. Would you help me to reset my mindset right now? Would you help me to set my mind on things that please you? By the way, one of the things the Spirit does proactively is He reminds you that you need to fill your mind with the things that are going to be good and true and right. Whatever is good and right and true and beautiful, think on these things. And the Spirit of God prompts you with a hunger so you start reading the Scripture and you come to a place like Calvary where you hear the Word of God and you listen to music that fills your mind because the Spirit is about to change you so you can live more pleasing to God. And you know where He starts? He goes after your thinking, your mindset. So how does the Spirit start to work in us to live so we can live more pleasing to God? He prompts us to change our stinking thinking. That's the first of the two ways. But there's a second way Paul talks about in verses 9 to 14 that the Spirit of God also helps us to be able to live more pleasing to God. He doesn't just stop in our minds. He goes for our behavior, for our living. The second thing that we'll see in verses 9 to 14 is this. The Spirit empowers us to kill our sinful behavior. He not only prompts us to change our stinking thinking, He empowers us to kill our sinful behavior. Look at verses 9 to 14. You'll see it with me, please. Pick it up in verse 9. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, we sang about that this morning, if he's living inside of you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Boy, there's a lot there in those verses. I just want to focus in on verses 13 and 14. Because that's where Paul says the Spirit of God not only works in your thinking, He works in your living, your behavior. 
and He gives you the power to kill sinful behavior, to kill it, to execute it. Now, I know that's kind of grisly language, but I'm not, I'm not just kind of adding a little extra hype to the text. That's the exact imagery that Paul uses in verse 13. Did you see it? Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Here it is. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Put to death. Put to death. Execute. The same Greek word that's translated put to death shows up in the crucifixion story of Jesus, in the passion story of Jesus. Listen to this. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 26, verse 59. Matthew 26, 59 says this. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. Same word. They want to kill him. They want to put him to death. Now, if you know the story of how it all played out, the chief priests and the Sanhedrin didn't actually do the deed. They didn't actually kill Jesus, right? They handed him over to the Romans, and the Romans did the dirty work. But it says they wanted to put him to death by handing him over. In our verse, verse 13 of chapter 8, same thing I think is going on there. He's saying this, the Holy Spirit prompts you to hand over sinful behavior so that the Spirit can help you put it to death, like kill it. You might think of it this way. The Spirit of God has a most wanted list for your life, like those old wanted posters. Remember seeing those in old cowboy westerns or on the wall of like a post office or something that says wanted? Back in the old days, it used to say wanted, dead, or alive, right? Did you know that the Spirit of God has a most wanted list of things in your life that God wants to see dead? Could be the way you use your tongue. Maybe on God's most wanted list for you is your tongue, because you know that your tongue often becomes a, something that's just quickly critical, and you can slice up people with your tongue, you can slander people with your tongue, and you know it's wrong, but it happens a lot. Could be your eyes. Your eyes often go roving and look at things that you know you have no business looking at. It's not helping you please God. But your eyes are going AWOL over and over. For some, it could be their fists. With their fists, they actually hurt people and hit people, maybe in the secrecy of their own home. And the Spirit of God is saying, that has to die. And what the Spirit of God does, He starts in your thinking to prompt you to say, hey, 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 let's, let's think about what you're thinking. But then he moves to your living, and he brings some things to your mind and says, look, we need to, you need to hand this over. You, you need to bring this to me because this needs to die. And what he's looking for you and what he's looking for me to do is to say to him, Lord, I am tired of harboring these outlaw actions in my life. I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm bringing it to you. I can't seem to kill it on my own but I'm bringing you the way I use my tongue. I'm bringing you the what's happening with my eyes. I'm bringing you what I do with my hands. Lord, would you help me put the sinful misdeeds of the body to death? The Spirit of God is the one who's prompting you to do that. And by the way, this is serious business. Did you see verse 13? It's life or death, verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Puritan pastor by the name of John Owen used to say this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Like it's a cage match and only one of the two of you is going to walk out alive and the Spirit of God is saying, look, I live in you so you can live. I'm working in your thinking to get rid of some of that stinking thinking because that's not leading you in the right ways. And now I'm going after your actions. For your, I'm going after your outlaw actions and I want you to hand those over to me so we can put them to death. The Spirit of God is the one who's moving to that so you can live more pleasing to God. Now, all that I said today should help some of you recalibrate your expectations of what it means to live a Spirit-filled life. Sometimes we think the Spirit-filled life is just this ecstasy. It's kind of a whole bunch of small struggles, easy victories that you're kind of turbocharged through life because you're Spirit-filled. That's not the vision that Paul gives here. Paul is actually saying that one of the ways you can tell the Spirit is working at you and working in you is that he's doing the messy, bloody business of dealing with old thought patterns and old lifestyle patterns, and he's saying, we got to put these things to death. And the very fact that you're in this struggle and in this battle and he's working in you is evidence that the Spirit of God is leading you. In fact, that's what he says in verse 14. Look at verse 14. He goes on to say, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, often we take that idea, verse 14, to mean, well, how you, how you know you're a Christian is that the Spirit of God leads you. He leads you in guidance, like, should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or not marry this person? And it is true that the Spirit of God guides us in those areas, but that's not what it's talking about in verse 14. Verse 14 follows verse 13. Verse 13 is talking about putting to death the misdeeds of the body because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In other words, one of the signs that you're truly a Christian is that the Spirit of God is leading you to deal with the stuff in your life that's wrong. One of the signs that you can tell that God is alive and well in you is he's leading you in your thinking. He's leading you to deal with stinking thinking. He's leading you to hand over sinful behaviors. That's an evidence of someone being a son or daughter of God. There was an old English pastor by the name of uh, J.C. Ryle, Bishop J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle said this, the child of God has two marks about his or her life. A child of God is known by his inward peace and his inward warfare. Isn't that interesting? What he's saying is one of, the, one of the ways you can tell someone who's truly born of God is they have this inward peace. They know that they have been forgiven. And there's an inward warfare. They're still dealing with the sinful nature. They're putting things to death by the power of God. So how does the Spirit of God help us? First way, he helps us live more pleasing to God by dealing with our thinking and our behavior. That's the first thing Paul says, but he's not done. 
A second way that the Spirit of God helps you, helps me, works in all of our lives is found in verses 15, 16, and 17. I'd put it this way. If it's true that the Spirit of God, first of all, helps us live pleasing to God, secondly, the Spirit of God, catch this, the Spirit of God helps us come close to the Father. The Spirit of God helps us come close to God. He helps us move closer to God, to come close to the Father. Look at verse 15, you'll see it. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, that we may also share in his glory. He says in verse 15 that you've received the spirit, you see it, verse 15, you've received the spirit of sonship. Some of your translations may say the spirit of adoption. Here's the cool thing. When a person comes to trust in Jesus to save them, God not only forgives their sins, he gives them the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship. And the spirit of God living inside of you moves you closer to the Father. In fact, verse 15 says, the spirit moves you to cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. You probably don't say Abba too much, do you? There was a band called Abba a long time ago. That's about the only time I'd say Abba. But in Paul's day, Abba was like a family word. It's an Aramaic word. It's a word a kid would say, a child would say. Don Carson says it's kind of equivalent to the French-Canadian Papa, or maybe the English word Daddy. What he's saying is this, God's Spirit moves you to have the freedom to come to the Almighty God as your Abba Father. Like, that's a huge privilege. He's saying, you're part of the family. Now, you can come close to God. You say, how does that work? How, how, how does this happen? Well, verse 16 tells you how it works. Look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit of God testifies. He, he witnesses with our spirit. He bears witness. He gives us an inner assurance that we belong to the Father. The Holy Spirit resonates with your human spirit to tell you you're part of God's family. It's an amazing thing. He gives you this assurance. There is a sympathetic resonance between the Holy Spirit and your human spirit. I can illustrate it this way. On the piano here, if, if you walked over to the piano and you held down the sustain key, and then you played a, well, even if you didn't play a note, if you just leaned over where all the strings are and you sang a note, so you lean, you hold down the sustain key, and then you, you say, bum, and you stop. You know what you'll hear? You'll hear the string, that, that pitch will be sounding. You'll hear this little bum, same pitch. Musicians call it sympathetic resonance. And what's happening is that the harmonic vibrations from my voice on a certain frequency level find resonance with the harmonic vibrations of that one string. And so I sing bum, and that one string sounds bum. Did you know there's a kind of spiritual, there's a spiritual kind of sympathetic resonance between God's spirit and our spirit, if you're a Christian. Sometimes he comes 
and he sings his music to you, right? He says, you're mine, you're loved, come close. And something inside of you starts going, I'm loved. I can come close, Abba Father. Something is, his spirit is resonating with your spirit that you belong to him. Now what is most stunning to me about all this is the context in which this is happening. Remember, verses 1 through 14 have just been about dealing with sin, the mess of dealing with sin. And now Paul says, right in the middle, when the Spirit of God is helping you put to death the misdeeds of the body, right in the middle of that, he's coming to you and he's singing to your spirit, you belong, you're mine, come close. Now why is that so important? You know why. Because in the middle of your struggle, you don't feel like you can come close to God. You look at some of the defeats that have been happening in your life, and you're discouraged by them. And you must, you think, God certainly is just disappointed in me. I'm one of the kids that he's going to be really disappointed in because I'm struggling with this. This is not easy for me. And then right in the middle of the messiness of dealing with all of that, the Spirit of God starts singing in your soul, you belong, Abba Father, come close. And your human spirit starts to say, it's true. Even before I've gotten this whole thing cleaned up, even before everything is where it should be, I'm in. God has done this great thing for me in Christ, and His Spirit is bearing witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. So how does the Holy Spirit help us? First of all, He helps us to live in a way that's pleasing to God by dealing with our stinking thinking and our outlaw actions. He goes to work there. And then right in the middle of that, Right in the midst of the fight, he witnesses to it. He bears witness that we can come close to the Father. But that's still not all. There's actually several more things in Romans 8, but let me just give you one more that I think is so beautiful. It comes in verses 26 and 27. I'd put it this way. The third way the Holy Spirit helps us is this. He helps us pray beyond our limitations. He helps us pray past our limitations. He helps us pray better than we know how to pray. He helps us pray beyond our limitations. You'll see it. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I love Paul's candor there in verse 27 when he says, we all got some weaknesses when it comes to prayer. And then he says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Some of the most eloquent prayers in the Bible were written by Paul. You can read them in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. Paul knew how to pray. And yet he's saying here, you know, sometimes I don't feel like I know what to pray for. The longer I live and serve in ministry, the more I understand what he's saying. 
You run into situations in your own life, in your family, in your friends, and others that are so convoluted and that are so tangled that sometimes you think, where do you even start to pray for this? Like, wh what do I ask? And sometimes you have things that are so deep in your heart, you don't even know how to wrap words around them. That's when the Holy Spirit helps. Did you see that in verse 27 or in verse 26? The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts, that would be God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. He's saying there that the Holy Spirit takes your prayers. Even at those times when you're saying, I'm not even sure what I should be praying for here. And He knows your heart. And he intercedes, he talks to the Father on your behalf, and he brings it to the Father with earnestness, with groans that words cannot express. But the Father knows what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit is praying in accordance with the will of God. And suddenly your, your little prayers become more than you can pray. The Spirit's doing that. When I was in university, I went to a concert one night. And the guy that was a Christian artist, the guy that was there was a singer-songwriter. And so all night he sat on a stool and he had his guitar and he, he sang songs that he had written about the Lord, about life, and it was amazing. But at one point in this concert, he set aside his guitar and he walks over to the piano. And he sits down at the piano and he starts to play a song. And the song is called play anyway. And the first line of the song is, I've been told that I can't play piano. And, and as he's playing, I mean, he's a pretty virtuoso on the guitar, but you can tell he doesn't know how to play piano very well. So he's just pounding it out real simple. He goes, I've been told that I can't play piano. And it's true. I don't play very well. And then he goes on, but if I wait until it's perfect, maybe I would never play at all. So I'll play, play anyway. And he's just up there just pounding out this song, very simple and rudimentary. And as he's singing this, I'm going to play, play anyway. Kind of unseen to us, there's another piano on the other side of the stage, and another guy slips on stage, only this guy's a concert pianist. And he sits down at the other piano and begins to play the same song that Alan is playing on the other side. Alan's just blocking out his chords, but this guy starts doing these lush chords and these arpeggiated runs, and suddenly the music that is hitting us is not just the simple pounding out of what Alan's doing, it's this combination, and the music is rich, and it's lush, and it's beautiful. Sometimes I feel when it comes to prayer like I'm Alan at the piano. pounding out my few simple notes and my prayers seem so limited, so lifeless, so pathetic. I don't even know what to pray sometimes. But Paul is saying it's like the Holy Spirit slides to the other keyboard and begins to play 
lush chords, arpeggiated runs, and suddenly the music that he is bringing to the Father is not just my simple pounding out. Suddenly he's bringing to the Father something that is beautiful and rich and beyond what I could bring. He's helping me to pray beyond my limits. See, God's greatest gift to us in saving us wasn't just forgiving our sins, which is huge. It was also giving us himself in the person of his Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit helps us live pleasing to God, changing our stinking thinking and our outlaw behavior. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we can come close to the Father and the Holy Spirit keeps helping us pray beyond our limitations. But you know, you can't get any of that help until the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And the way you have God's Spirit living inside of you is when you give yourself unreservedly by faith to God, trusting in His Son Christ. It's when you come to trust in Christ to save you that he forgives your sin and gives you his Holy Spirit. Some of you today may be saying, I need that. I need that help. Man, I am stuck where I am. My thinking is wrong. My behavior is wrong. I need Christ. I need to be saved. I need his Holy Spirit. Do you know that today you can make sure that that gift becomes yours? God has made it available to all who believe all who believe in Christ, who trust Him to be their sin bearer and Savior, receive the gift of His Spirit. So if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, what could possibly hold you back? So I'm going to invite you to do that. And then those of you who have known Christ, who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you to just say, Lord, let your Holy Spirit be alive and well in me. Maybe today you know he's trying to deal with your thinking or some behaviors. Maybe today he's pushing you to come close to the Father when you've been hanging back in the shadows. Maybe he's prompting you to pray even when you pr feel your prayers are so limited. But as the Holy Spirit works in you, you say yes and come forward. You come to him and say, Lord, here I am. I want to give us all a moment just to pray. The worship team's going to come and lead us in a final song. But would you just, wherever you are, talk to the Lord and thank Him for the gift that He's offered you. If you've never trusted in Christ as salvation, repenting of your sins and asking Jesus to be your Savior and asking God to give you the gift of the Spirit, would you do that today? And if you've come to know Christ, would you just once again say, Lord, let your Spirit work in me in any way He wants. Let's all process that in prayer privately. And then after we've prayed, Jordan and the team will lead us in one final song. Let's pray. This morning I said to you, I am excited and I am rejoiced to be here to worship God. It feels just like the start of a rugby game. You know, I remember back to the days when I was playing competitive rugby and at the end of the game, there was no better feeling. You were bruised and you were battered and you were sore. But then you went and had that hot shower and you put on your good clothes again. And you sat down, and even though you were bruised and battered, you felt refreshed. And you know, this morning, a lot of us have come in here, and we might have been in a season right now where we're bruised and battered. And I pray that the same way the physical shower of warm water just soothes 
your injuries. I pray this morning that the refreshing word of God about the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, will soothe and heal some of that bruising and battering that you maybe have been going through and are able to say, as the psalmist said in Psalm 122, I rejoiced. I rejoiced with those who said to me, I don't know who invited you to church today. It might be your parents. It might have been your spouse. If you're single, it might have been the Holy Spirit. But I pray that today, after hearing God's word, you are leaving and you are able to say, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I pray that we will leave today rejoicing in spite of the season we're in, that we can rejoice and we have come together to the house of the Lord and have been refreshed by his word. Remember, it's not by strength, it's not my might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So may God bless all of us this week that we will listen and live in accordance with his spirit. And if you are here this morning and you're like, wow, I would just really appreciate someone praying with me. I've heard God's word. I know what I need to do, my behavior, my thinking, but I just, would someone pray with me to affirm that I will put into action what I've heard this morning? We'll be here after the service. Please come forward. We are in this together as one body. And so come forward. We would be more than happy to pray for you. You can pray for us because we all need to rely more on the Holy Spirit. May God bless you. Have a fantastic afternoon. And remember to live according to His will by the power of His Spirit. God bless you.